Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. I am flipped to Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, I'll tell you what. um, It's been an interesting week. It's been a challenging week uh, for many in our church family. Um, We've had several deaths of family members from our church family, a number of folks that are dealing with a lot of sickness right now. Um, and on any given Sunday when I'm driving into the building here, I'm thinking about all the, the highs and lows that are being experienced within uh, our family. Um, last week, I got to, to go, Jessica and I got to go see a new arrival to our church family, um, Isabel Lay, Michael and Lynn, if you know them, they're also known as the rhythm section of our church family, <laughs> bass and drummer. Um, and so there's... This is life, right? This contrast of heaviness and of joy. And uh, so this morning, uh, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've brought here with you in your heart or in your mind. Um, but what we want to, to be reminded of is the good news this morning. That, and this good news um, doesn't necessarily um, always make us feel happy in the moment It doesn't necessarily wipe away all of our trials and challenges or our past mistakes, but this good news centers us on a truth that is unchanging. It reminds us that our hope is not based on our circumstances, but it is based on the one who has given it all to make us right before him and to bring us into relationship with him. And so I just want to pray towards that end before we look at this passage that Jonathan read this morning. So Father, we ask this morning, No matter where we are in our hearts and minds, um, we know that we can come to you with all that we are, and you're not intimidated by that. You're not you're not overwhelmed when with grief. You're not overwhelmed with um, doubts, even though we are. And Lord, you instead say, "Come to me with those things. Come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your grief." Come to me with your confusion. Whatever it would be, you can handle it. So, Father, would you remind us of that this morning? Lord, as we look at this passage that gives us a glimpse of who you are, may we come away wanting to worship you more, wanting to follow you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if this is your first with, week with us, uh, whether online or in person, we, we've been walking through uh, one of the four gospel accounts, gospel meaning good news, good news accounts of Jesus' life. 
And this one is from the book of Mark. So in your Bibles, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is one of the older um, Gospels. In other words, it was most likely written first before the other Gospels. Uh, Jonathan just read this morning's passage that we're going to walk through, Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. It's one scene in Jesus' life that gives us a glimpse of who Jesus really is. And I say that on purpose because we, we talked about this last week, we have made up things about Jesus that are not true about him. And it's important that we continually get back to what he says about himself, what he demonstrates about himself. And so last week uh, I showed a, showed a picture of um, white Jesus and uh, somebody that was visiting our church for the first time said, I can't believe you showed that and said, that's not true. Uh, I said, you know it's not, right? And he says, yeah, I know, but won't people be offended to know that Jesus isn't white? I said, if they are, then that's probably good. We need to be offended sometimes to, to get back to the truth. So I use that as an illustration, but we, we have built up caricatures of Jesus based on things that have been taught to us, based on things that have been told or kind of displayed through culture. And then sometimes we just in our own personalities tend to focus only on certain parts to the detriment of other parts. So Jesus is all loving, but he is full of justice as well. So we talked about this last week. Who is Jesus? And so far as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen that Jesus has authority. He has authority over the natural world. He can create miracles He can defy the natural laws to heal people. Jesus has authority over the unseen, the spiritual realm. He is more powerful than any demonic force. And Jesus has the ultimate power, which is he has the power to forgive sin. You you can't forgive your own sin, but God can forgive that sin for you. And in doing that, its power is broken. Only God can do that. And so this is what we looked at last week. And this week, in this short scene that Jonathan just read, we're going to ask another question. What type of person responds to the message of Jesus? Go ahead and point to somebody this morning and say, you. You. You are the type of person that can respond to the message of Jesus. That's why we're all here, most of us, I think. But this is also a place, if you're not, you haven't responded, you're welcome. You're welcome to consider Jesus. I remember some years ago, I was uh, in the country of China. I was in a big city in China. And I was talking to a, a, a young man, a young Chinese man, and, and we are talking about faith. And he says, you know, faith, uh, religion, it's for old people and poor people. People that really need it. And we unpack that. He said, you know, old people, they're at the end of their life, they've all of a sudden realized everything they, they've worked for is maybe not quite enough, not fulfilling. And so at that moment, he said, old people will typically find religion. But not me, I'm not old, he says. And he says, you know, poor people. They worked hard, but things haven't gone their way. They barely have enough to survive. And so they know that there has to be somebody out there that can help them. And so they turn to religion. Poor people, but I'm not poor, he said. I'm not poor, I'm not old, I don't need religion. 
I said, someday you're going to be both of those. <laughs> you're going to be dead, actually. All the things you've worked for, they'll be gone. Then what? Well, I'll just cease to be, he said. But I won't have wasted my time believing in these lies. What type of person responds to the message of Jesus? Well, it's a person that knows that they're not in control, that knows that they can't fully live the life that they want to live, that they can't be that good. They can be good, but they can't be perfect. They can never quite get there. It's a person that, that sees something within themselves, this hunger, this desire that, that they've never been able to quench, and they realize they're distant from God, from the one who made them. What type of person responds to Jesus? Well, this morning we're going to look at one type of person that responds to Jesus. We're also going to look see another type of person that doesn't respond to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2, the passage that Jonathan just read, verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. There's three, three people, three profiles that we see in this, in this short story. Um, the first one is Jesus. Now, up to this point, we've already learned several things about Jesus. Jesus has a message. Jesus has uh, this message of the, the good news of the kingdom, that something is about to change, something is breaking through into the world. And Jesus is telling people about this message. We've also learned that Jesus has authority. I mentioned this earlier, but he's healed people. He's cast out demons, and he's forgiven sin. And so because of that, we've learned that Jesus is God. When he said last week, as we looked at this, when he said to the man that was paralyzed, your sins are forgiven, the religious leader says, who can do that but God? Aha. <laughs> that must mean that Jesus is God. And so we've learned that Jesus has a message, Jesus has authority, and Jesus is God. And so Jesus is the primary character in this particular scene. There's somebody else that Jesus interacts with, this man named Levi. In the passage we just read, it says that Levi is a tax collector. My son Jude was asking me yesterday, he's like, there's no, no such things as tax collectors anymore, right? And I said, oh, no. It's called the IRS. <laughs> we uh, actually had a church member that uh, she says since moved, but she worked for the IRS and she kept that low profile. No, just kidding. We loved her. <laughs> in, in Jesus' time, um, the tax collectors, remember this, the, the Jewish nation, Israel itself, is under the rule of the Roman Empire. So guess who gets the money? The Romans get the money. And so just like today, there were taxes to be paid. And in, some, some scholars think because of the location of where Levi was, at, was working as a tax collector that he may have actually been more of a toll collector uh, on a trade route. As people were coming to, to buy and sell goods and services in the Roman Empire, they had to pay up. Um, and sometimes just for traveling on Roman roads, you had to pay up, which Seattle's a lot like that now, isn't it? And so... Levi is a Jewish man working for the Roman Empire. And Rome's already despised. Tax collectors are already despised. And so you can imagine Levi was not a favorite son in the Jewish community. Um, oftentimes, tax collectors in the Roman Empire would take a little bit more than what they were supposed to take. 
And typically they had uh, even guards or soldiers that would help them enforce the collection of these taxes. And so because of this, it's fair to assume that tax collectors, especially Jewish tax collectors, were not welcomed in the synagogue, which is really the center of Jewish worship and community. It's more than just church. It's where everything in the Jewish community happens. And so it's probably fair to assume Levi was not welcome there. And honestly, he probably didn't care. He's making good money. He had what he wanted. So that's the second profile in this story. And the third profile is this group called the Pharisees. And if they sound familiar to you, it's probably because you've read the Bible. Jesus has a lot of conflict with this particular group. And so Jesus calls Levi to come follow him. Of all the people he could call, this man in this town. And so the Pharisees, they say, whoa, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? So we have to ask the question, what is a Pharisee? If, you, if you've heard the word before, you, sometimes you just think, well, they're the bad guys. Or they're the weird religious dudes. But there's more to it than that. Uh, Pharisee, uh, you, could, you could say, literally means separate one. They viewed themselves as holy, as separate from the culture. In fact, the way that they practiced their religion was by pushing back against cultural things that were happening, especially in the Roman Empire. Pharisees' identity was based on their adherence to the law the, or the Torah, the Old Testament teachings. So their identity was that of like, I follow every religious practice. And in addition to that, in addition to following the Old Testament law, there was also extra teachings, uh, teachings of the elders and traditions that have gone before them. They were very religious, very pious people. Now, is that bad? No. In, in and of itself, following God's law is not a bad thing. But what happens was, and what happens with all of us, is when we make religious to-do lists, then our religious focus or our faith in God becomes more about what we're doing and less about who God is. More about what we think others should be doing and less about the grace of God. And so the Pharisees, in, in and of themselves, their desire to to, to follow the law was not a bad thing, but their focus was off. They tended to be focused more on the law than the lawgiver. A couple of examples of this later on in, in Jesus' ministry and other places in Scripture, you'd also see this. Uh, there is a, a point where Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath, and according to religious law, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees had made it so much so that you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And so even just healing somebody, they would say, is against the Sabbath. So they, they took the commands and they, they added to them. In another place, uh, later on in Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus interact with the Pharisees. And they, are, they have figured out how to use religious law in a way that is, basically overlooks the needs of their own family members. And so if somebody in their family was in need, they'd be like, well, sorry, I can't help you financially because I have to give this money to God instead. 
They would twist religious belief to serve themselves. So this is the scene. We've got Jesus. We've got Levi, who's a tax collector. We've got the Pharisees. So putting it all together, what we see here is we see Levi, this lucrative position, very secure, very well paid. Jesus, just like he had done with the fishermen before, he calls him to follow him. Jesus says, Levi, come follow me. And like that, he leaves his well-paid position to follow Jesus. And I love how the scene changes, what we see here. Right after this, Levi hosts a dinner with Jesus as the key guest for all of his tax collector friends and sinners and disciples of Jesus. And because of this dinner, the Pharisees ask the question, why does he do this? This man who's going around teaching He's clearly religious. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? How would you answer this question? If somebody were to ask you, if you had been there in that moment, why is Jesus hanging out with sinners? Why would the Savior, the long-awaited Messiah, God in the flesh, hang out with these folks? Well, this is how Jesus responds. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If you this morning have responded to Jesus' invitation to follow him, then you have a seat at his table. A table of sinners. A table of sinners that have been called specifically by Jesus. In a way... Jesus' response is both affirming the need of these folks, but also taking a bit of a jab at the religious folks, the Pharisees. Why are you hanging out with these people? Jesus, well, you're good, right? Like, these people, they aren't. That's who I'm here for. Those who know that they are distant from God, but don't know how to get close to him. That's who I'm here for. Now, when Jesus says this to the Pharisees, does that mean that they are without sin? Does that mean that they don't need the same gospel that he is giving to those who he's sitting at the table with? Of course not. Of course not. We'd ask the question this way. Does outward religious behavior mean that you are okay? No. Of course not. Church attendance doesn't mean that you have faith in Jesus. Having six Bibles in your home does not mean you have faith in Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, one of the key things I've been reminded of recently is just because people look like they have it together on the outside doesn't mean that they're not an absolute wreck on the inside doesn't mean they don't have doubts and questions. doesn't mean that just because they go to church that their faith is strong. Sometimes the opposite is true. So Jesus isn't excluding the Pharisees from the good news. What he's causing them to do is think about what their faith, what their religious behavior is based on. He's causing them to 
Think about where their heart is. Is it close to God or is it far from God? So here's Levi. Levi knows he's an outcast. He knows that if he just showed up in the synagogue, people would whisper, why is he here? So why would he? If that was the, the reception, that he, why would he even show up? And then Jesus meets him where he's at and invites him to follow him. And he responds like that. There's an there's a example here. Should, should cause us to think a little bit about what we often do with folks that we think are too far gone, we say. That we think would, would never darken the door of a church. They would never say yes if we invited them to participate in the family of God. We've written them off. We act a lot like the Pharisees do. And what we often find, and what I've found to be true, is there are those just like Levi. They know. They know that their career is not what's fulfilling them. They know that they, they or at least they think they know, they wouldn't be welcome at any kind of religious gathering. And they will never come because of that. But we see here in Levi the response I think that so many would make if they had an encounter with Jesus, if they were invited to follow him. So as Jesus' disciples today, if we know what Jesus' heart is for the sinner, what is ours? We're surrounded by a lot of people just like Levi. They've, they've put up walls. They've justified their own behavior. They've, they've written off even being able to come close to God because of what other religious people have said. And so they'll never come. This, this type of stuff, man, it, it, it makes me really be careful what I say on social media, the image that I portray, what I, what I align myself with as a Christian. Because the, the message that we speak gets easily clouded out by political alignments by social movements, and people cannot hear the gospel because the other things are much louder in our lives. And this is a lot like what the Pharisees did. I remember years ago, I was on a church softball team, and I, I loved to play baseball when I was a kid, and, and I loved to play softball, and so we had a, a our, our church put together a softball team, and we had you know the name of the church uh, on our jersey, and which always, man, is dangerous, right? You get a bunch of guys playing, playing the sport, and tempers get, get riled up, and then those Christians, that team of Christians over there, man, they're, they're the ones. It's why I don't have a Christian fish on my car. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, this is fun, it's great to be with, the, with guys in the church, but what if, what if we used our church softball team a little bit differently? What if each of us on the team invited somebody who wasn't a believer in Christ to be on the team with us? What if we viewed the sport that we love to play as an, a means for connecting people to Jesus, connecting people to the church? Some years later, we moved uh, from California up to eastern Washington, and uh, I decided I wasn't going to be on a church softball team. I was just going to be on a softball team. And so I, I, I signed up. 
There's one other guy in the church that was on the team with me, and uh, we were sponsored by a bowling alley, uh, which is just perfect for that, if you know softball culture, uh, to, to, to play men's slow pitch softball and be sponsored by a bowling alley. And then uh, the, because we were sponsored by a bowling alley, the guy who had organized the, the team, he said, hey, we need to show support of the sponsor. And so after every game, um, there was this expectation that we would go to the bowling alley, but not to bowl but to hang out in the bar at the bowling alley, um, which of all the bars to hang out in, a bowling alley bar with a church softball team. I mean, it just gets better, right, or with a regular softball team. But I'll tell you what, in, in that interaction, uh, I got to have so many conversations with these men, um, sitting down at the end of the game and just to be able to talk about life and belief, and it was a beautiful thing. Now, if somebody were to drive by and see one of the pastors of their church sitting in a bowling alley bar, there might be some questions, right? But people knew me. They knew my heart. They knew the goal that I loved to play sports, and I wanted to use those things to connect people with Jesus. And the problem with the Pharisees is they wouldn't even go there. They had drawn these religious lines. And so Jesus, when he went to Levi with this invitation that no other religious leader would extend, it changed Levi's life. This outcast, this unreligious traitor to his own people jumps at the chance at a new life to follow Jesus. So ask the question again, are there people in your life that you've written off? Are there folks where you have drawn a religious line that is not based on Jesus' teachings, but based on your own preferences and comforts? I would never associate with those people. In some ways, the Pharisees were rightly applying biblical truth by not hanging out with sinners. You know the principle, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. Or you've heard the phrase, if you want to see the direction of somebody's life, look at the friends that they surround themselves with, right? These are true things. As believers, we have to be careful about the influences on our life. But that is not an issue for Jesus in this moment. And here's the real problem. This type of religious behaviors that the Pharisees are following, it makes moral behavior a prerequisite for following Jesus. It makes moral behavior a prerequisite for salvation. And that, I just need you to hear this clearly, that has not, nor has it ever been the way to get into relationship with God. He has never said to follow me you must get your stuff together. I could use a different word, but I won't. He has never said that. And yet we put that on other people or we believe that lie ourselves. That in order to really know Jesus and follow Jesus, I have to have only so many doubts. I have to have only so many sins or, or, or lesser sins. I have to be a, at least a baseline, I have to have a baseline for good behavior before I can follow Jesus. And he has never said that. Religious people say that. Pharisees say that. We tell ourselves that as an excuse even 
But God has never made that clear. Because here's the truth. The saving grace of Jesus is what leads to the life transformation. We don't get transformed first and then start to believe Jesus later. We believe Jesus, and then that belief changes everything around us. Our our desires, our affections, this is the picture of repentance. When we say to repent and follow Jesus, it's a, a mindset that is changed. We now see Jesus for who he is, and we go, Based on that, I'm going to follow him. So Levi, Jesus didn't say, hey, Levi, you need to pay everybody back that you've stolen from. You need to go around to the elders of your community and repent for for working with the oppressive Roman regime. Then when you do that, come find me. No, Jesus says, follow me. And then what happens next is everything changes for Levi. In his longest and most famous recorded sermon in Scripture, um, Jesus, uh, on the Sermon of the Mount, gives us a clue of who gets to get into the kingdom of God. Maybe you remember this in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who realize that they don't have what it takes. They realize that they're an outcast. They realize that they're down and out. Blessed are those people because they will get into the kingdom. The poor in spirit. This is what makes Jesus' message such good news. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to pretend to have it all together. Jesus knows that you don't, but he has a better way for you. So who do you identify with in this story? Do you identify with the Pharisees or Levi? If you've been a Christian for a a while, then our swing is probably, your swing is probably going to be like mine. It's going to be toward the Pharisees. And Pharisees, they come in all, all sorts of varieties. Pharisees are in the church. Oftentimes, Pharisees forgot that it is the grace of God, in other words, the favor of God that we didn't earn, that allows us to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. Because over time, Pharisees, they, they start forgetting about their own sin and pointing out other people's sin. They, for, they, start, they start thinking, well, my, my remaining sin is pretty minor, but whoa, look at that person's sin. And they create extra barriers to come into faith in Christ. There's a lot of Pharisees in the church, and at times I'm one. I'm one of them. Sometimes, even in our culture right now, we see that there are Pharisees outside of the church, even non-religious people. We see a a type of secular Pharisee that imposes uh, a new, like I would call a secular fundamentalism. We see this throughout our culture right now, and that's why we have this phrase we call cancel culture. If you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, there's no grace at all. You are guilty. You are cut off. You can no longer operate in the position or the career that you once had. I don't care if you say you're sorry. You're done. So if we think that this Pharisee mindset is just in the church, it's not. It's everywhere in our culture. There is fundamentalism everywhere. Have you ever heard the phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin? On one level, that makes sense, right? I hate the effects of sin. I've seen what it's done in my family. I've seen what it's done in other families. 
my wife and I are part of, um, we've been foster care parents for about six years now. We've had seven kids come through our home. Why? Because of sin, because of addiction, because of abuse. In our state alone, there's thousands, 10,000 children in foster care. Why? Because of sin, because of the effects of sin, because of the brokenness that sin causes. I hate sin. And God hates sin, too. That's why Jesus came, to break the power of sin, to allow us to see sin for what it is and to, to fight against it. The problem is that more often than not, when we say love the sinner, hate the sin, we actually lead with hating the sin. We look at somebody who is in sin and we tell ourselves, love the sinner, hate the sin. But what we speak to in their life is their sin. We show no love to them. And then we justify saying, no, I mean, I love you, but I just hate what you're doing. Hate how you're living. Hate how you're acting. What do you think people hear when that happens? Love the sinner, hate the sin. The problem is that that's not what people hear. And so I would propose that we consider the way that we approach people differently. I propose that we consider doing away, actually, with that cliché. Completely. When it comes to actual relationships, to, to flesh and blood people who are right in front of us, I think the Jesus way is that we love the sinner and then we help free them from their sin. A little bit different. A little bit nuanced, isn't it? And this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, It is not the healthy who need doctors, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Because here's the truth. Sin is not a person. Sin is not a person. Sin manifests itself in people. It destroys people's lives. But sin is not a person. But sin is also not a disembodied force. It's not just out there floating around. It again manifests itself in culture and in societies and systems and in people. Sin is like an undiagnosed disease. That people can see the symptoms of it. They know something's wrong, but that person doesn't know, and nobody has really been able to help them get free from it. Sin is like a, a clothing style. If you, if you came to me after church and you said, yo, Andrew, your style is so 90s, I would say, you're right. <laughs> my hair, my style, like nothing has changed in almost 30 years. Like if you point that out to somebody, though, most folks are going to get offended because sin is so ingrained with them. It's been a part of who they are for so long that what they hear is, you don't love me. You don't even like me. Love the sin, hate the sin. You're just saying you hate me. And so this is something we have to be reminded of as Christians. I would rather religious folks be concerned with who I'm loving than not being invited to sit at the table with Jesus. And this is what we see in this story. In their attempt to distance themselves from sinners, they're also distancing themselves from God. 
If you've been a Christian for a while, ask God to show you how to love the sinner and to point them to Jesus who can free them from their sin. And let me take one burden off of your shoulders. It is not your job or my job to change people. You cannot create change or transformation in somebody's life. And so when you interact with family members that are broken and messed up, when you interact with coworkers and you have you and me are powerless to change them. And it's so important to, to know that. Because then what we realize is there's only one person who can, his name is Jesus. And so our goal becomes instead of trying to manipulate people or guilt people into changing their behavior, we say, I just need to introduce them to Jesus. I just need to get them to sit at the table with him. I just want them to know that God loves them. And when our focus, when our focus turns to that, then God begins the work in their lives. God may use you to do that, and that's a beautiful thing. But remove the burden of feeling like you have to change people. So this whole idea of following Jesus for many of us, or many folks, is brand new. Uh, And so Levi is another person that we might identify with. Maybe this morning you identify with Levi. You've always been on the outside. And for some reason you believe that God's posture toward you is one of disapproval. Oh, yeah, God's not happy with my identity. If, if, if he really knew about my past mistakes, my own guilt keeps me from God. This is the illustration of Levi. And many people today believe that the good news of Jesus doesn't apply to them because they believe these lies. I'll have to change something about my identity, undo something about my past. But here's the thing. The good news of Jesus does apply to you. The invitation is for you. There's no expiration date on it. And the heart of God towards men and women has never changed. This isn't just a Jesus thing. This is a God thing. Jesus is God, so we don't want to artificially separate things. But oftentimes we pit Jesus in the New Testament versus God in the Old Testament. But we know from Scripture that Jesus is God. He's sent from God. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together are God. They display the character and the attributes of God. And so if Jesus approaches people like this, sometimes we artificially separate what we've read in the Old Testament from what we see displayed in his life. But here's the thing. Today's story reflects the heart of God that has always been true. God has always led with Love, with grace, with favor. Look at Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is the heart of God. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And one of my favorite verses, Romans chapter 2, 
Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? If you have believed anything else about God, then somebody has been lying to you. Yes, God is a God of justice, and he does, and he will deal with sin in the world once and for all. But God's leading posture toward you is kindness and mercy. And I am so sorry if his people have displayed something other than that to you. God has deep compassion for you, for sinful, wicked, evil you. God loves you. Now, left unchecked, sin will consume you. You can't control it, and you can't stop sin where it's leading you, which is to death. And God knows that, too. He knows that sin is too wrapped around your heart for you to even properly diagnose your own sickness. And so God says, come. Come to me. Sit at the table. Know my love and my grace and my kindness. And then you have the chance to respond to his healing touch, to his forgiveness, to his healing. Let me end with just one more radical thought, especially radical for Pharisees. One of the primary ways that God reveals himself, that God works to change hearts, is by blessing sinners into repentance. One of the, I'm going to say that again. One of the primary ways that God works is by blessing sinners into repentance. Let me give you an illustration of this. 2 Kings chapter 6. There's a, an army, the army of Aram, and they're going to attack the, the Jewish people. 2 Kings chapter 6. And they, they go and they surround this city and there's thousands of them. There is no chance. And Elisha the prophet prays and asks God to intervene. And what happens is the army is struck with blindness. They don't know where they are or what's going on. And so there's this discussion among the leaders in Israel. And they say, what are we to do now? Well, what would you do? Let's go out and take those dudes out. Before their eyesight comes back. We don't know what's going on, but they're blind. We're outmanned. Let's go wipe them out. You know what they do instead? They lead them into the center of the city. And they feed them a meal. And then their eyesight's restored. And they realize what just happened. And you know what happens next? They leave the city. And they... Never attack Israel again. What a beautiful illustration of what Jesus would say later is to bless your enemies, to pray for them. Of the teachings of the Bible say that the rain, which is a good thing in Jewish times, falls on those that are just and those that are unjust alike. That God often blesses people into repentance. And Jesus is demonstrating that very thing in this story. Somebody like Levi, he blesses them with, with relationship. He invites them to a place at the table 
place of hospitality. And so today, as we follow Jesus, we want to continually do Pharisee checks on our own hearts and on the culture of our church. And we want to be people that walk in the ways of Jesus. Say, come on, let me tell you about this man. Let me tell you some good news about your life. And disciples of Jesus, his true followers are to display this kind of radical love, regardless of race, religion, sexual identity, political affiliation, or any other cultural constructs. We are to be a people of grace in the way that we interact with the world around us. And if you're listening this morning and you identify with Levi, I want you to hear this. I want you to know that God's pursuit of you isn't based on what you've done or haven't done. God's pursuit of you is based entirely on his love for you. There's no earning it because it's freely given. And so if you are ready to respond just like Levi did, I want you to know that you have a place at the table. You have a place at this church. Jesus is calling you, just as we sang a few moments ago. And I hope that you would respond this morning. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to ask two things of us, depending on who you identify with. If you have identified some pharisaical tendencies in your heart, I want you to ask the Lord to fill you new with his love and grace this morning. I'm talking to Christians. I want you to ask him to to allow you to love the sinner and to lead them to Jesus. And if you are like Levi this morning, you're on the outside. Maybe you're watching online or maybe you snuck in the back door today so you didn't have to interact with anybody at church, but you wanted to be here for whatever reason. I pray that you would hear the invitation, the invitation of a new life that Jesus alone offers and the transformation that comes with it. And so if you'd like to respond, we would love to pray with you today. During this last song, you can just come to the front and myself and some of our leaders would love to pray for you. Let me pray right now for us as we enter into this time of reflection through song. Father, as we sing this last song, as we consider your ways and what it means to follow you, to be your disciples, I pray that, that you would purge the Pharisees out of our own hearts, Lord. Yes, that we would pursue your ways, that we would hold fast to your word, but we wouldn't add to it. We wouldn't throw grace out with it. We wouldn't forget your love for us, but that we would be demonstrations of it, Lord, how kindness leads to repentance. And Father, I want to lift up those that may be listening, that may be here with us, They've held you at arm's length. They've said, religion's for old people, for poor people. It's not for me. But maybe you've spoken something this morning, something to the core of who they are. They realize they don't have it. They need you. They need to know you. They need to know their purpose, that they're not an accident. They need to know that their past can be forgiven, that their future, Lord, has hope. Lord, we ask for those people this morning that they would hear your invitation, the invitation to come sit at your table, to know and be known by you. And if that's you this morning, we want to pray for you during this last song.
You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.